Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 15 today. Marriage and children really are the two topics that we find in this message, more specifically divorce and children. And the children is just a couple of verses. At the end, the bulk of the text is dealing with the subject of divorce. But it's actually kind of interesting how it comes about. Jesus opposition comes to him, tries to harass him, get him into some sort of trap, and then that prompts this conversation on divorce. So we're weeks before the cross. Many people are following Jesus. The religious establishment hates him. They're trying to get rid of him. Today we see the Pharisees attempting to trap Jesus, which prompts this lesson on divorce. I'm going to give you the main point of this message right up front. And I'm also going to give you like a disclaimer. Um, the main point that we're going to draw out, I guess, is because God created marriage to be permanent, we must understand and live by what he says about marriage and divorce. That's really the main point is it doesn't really matter what man says to a Christian what matters is what God says. And that's kind of how we're going to approach this passage today. Now, the disclaimer is what Jesus says in this passage isn't the complete story on divorce in the New Testament. We're going to have to bring in two other passages to kind of give the whole story, and we'll do that. I also want to say that this passage does not answer all the questions pertaining to divorce. And I will say the Bible doesn't answer all questions pertaining to divorce. The Bible is very clear, very easy to understand on the subject, and man has muddied the water, you know, we'll say that. This is a hotly debated topic, I understand that, it's, I can just see it on your faces already, this is an emotional subject, um, but as it is, this is my heart as a pastor, is I want to do everything that I can to keep my opinions out of the Bible teaching here, that's really my heart. I share opinions. Everybody does. You have to at times. You have to kind of tell people how you're working this out, how you're living these things out. And so it's important sometimes. But I want us to just really zero in on what the Bible says today about this subject. I think it's so needed in the church to talk about. I was talking to my mentor yesterday, one of my mentors, and he says, you know, people avoid this subject. He says, pastors, uh, they, uh, you know, he's, he says he knows a bunch of pastors that don't want to deal with the subject. And I'll tell you, if we didn't teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, it might be tempting to, um, you know, kind of go over this. But so is that okay? We're going to just kind of look at what the Bible says today. I think that's all of our heart here. I think that's why you're here is because you like this church because the Bible's taught here. And we believe that it's the inerrant word of God, every word of it, all 66 books. And so we want to hear um, what the God of grace and mercy and truth has to say to us today. So pick it up at Matthew chapter 19, starting at verse 1, please. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason... 
a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. He said to them, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born this from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. Gracious Lord, thank you for your word here today. Thank you for your truth that is never ending, that lasts all seasons. Um, regardless of what the drift of the culture says, Lord, it is our heart to be your people. We thank you, Lord, for speaking to us, for not leaving us as orphans, but giving us the Holy Spirit as a comfort and giving us your word so we have a sure foundation. And so we approach it as that today, the sure foundation that's come from you, Lord. Teach us and instruct us by the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it's a two-part outline. It's very simple. Verses 1 through 12, Jesus is questioned about divorce. Verses 13 through 15, number 2, Jesus blesses the children. Number 1, Jesus is questioned about divorce. Now they're going into a new geographical region, and uh, they're going into an area called Perea. This is the region of, the Ju of Judea beyond the Jordan. So as he's going now, he's moving towards Jerusalem. We're within weeks of the cross, like I mentioned. Luke 9.51, in his account of this, says that Jesus, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. I love that. I have that outlined in, in Luke, highlighted, because it's just such an interesting thing that our Savior, Jesus Christ, that he set his face, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And I paused a little bit on that this week, and I thought, he knows what he's going to face, and yet his mind is set there. He's set on being obedient to the will of the Father. He's motivated by that, and he's also motivated by his love for his people, and he's determined to go to the cross. And that's really an encouragement to me to be determined to be obedient to the things that God's called me to do. That's what I took from that as an application is I want to be like Jesus. I want my face to be set towards the things that he's called me to do. I don't want to be wavering to and fro and be wishy-washy. And he, sure, he certainly has set the good example. Uh, he's our leader. He's the one to follow. Great multitudes followed him, it says there. The wonderful things that he did made it to the hearers 
um, of the multitudes, even beyond Galilee, that's what Luke, or Matthew's getting at here, is even in this region of Perea, great multitudes are following him. They're looking for healing and different things. Now, it's just as it is today, right? When people hear what Jesus can do for their lives and they know they have a need, they come to Jesus. And that's what they were doing there. They were coming to get their needs met. And boy, when you read the Gospels and you see how Jesus faithfully met people's needs, that's another good example to us. That's another good um, nudge to us in, in ministry as his people is to uh, be like him and where we faithfully meet needs. Of course, we can't meet needs like Jesus did. That has to be said. He's Jesus. But, um, you know, we're to be representatives of him. But, you know, those in the crowd that were looking for healing and those that are following him because they're following his teaching, there were also those in the crowd that were seeking to destroy him. And that's where verse 3, the, ver uh, the Pharisees also came to him, testing him, saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? So notice the testing him. They're not looking for a good answer. They're looking to test him. They're trying to get him into a trap. And I'll tell you, they think they have him in a real clever trap here. And I'm going to explain why that's so, and you'll see. You'll also understand why that for just any reason, why they've tagged that on there, okay? So hot button issue in this day. The, to the topic of divorce was just like it is today, and, and it was debated, hotly debated. It was a source of contention and all different things within God's people. <clears throat> there were essentially two main schools of thought in Jesus' day. One was liberal, one was conservative. One is the school of Rabbi Shammai, and the other was the school of Rabbi Hillel. Two rabbis, two teachers of the Jews that, you know, they, what a rabbi does is essentially interpret the law of Moses and then give their ruling. And these are the rules that we should live by. So there were two, two main schools of thought. Both of these rabbis thought they were biblical in their viewpoints. Now, the debate that they had was over this section in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses one through four. You could turn there if you want, if you're a good Bible flipper, but I'm going to read it to you. You may want to turn there. Uh, it's Deuteronomy's, you know, right in the, towards the beginning of your Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 1. I, we need to do this kind of quickly. I was debating whether to have you go there or not because there's a lot here, but we'll try. Um, it says this, when a man, Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 1, it says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. Then he goes on and on, and he, he concludes the, the sentence, the point that he's going to make. It actually is a pretty big run-on sentence. It's like five verses long. We're not going to read all of it. But the debate was over this word uncleanness. It says, when a man takes his wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her. Then Moses goes on to say, write her a certificate of divorce. And, uh, but the debate was really over what constitutes uncleanness, okay? So you can go back to Matthew now. What constitutes uncleanness? The big debate was over that word. What is meant by uncleanness? Now, the school of Rabbi Shammai, they were very rigid. He was a very rigid person, black and white, and his interpretation was uncleanness meant sexual immorality, okay? And Rabbi Hillel, very lax and liberal school of thought, and uncleanness interpreted as nearly anything. 
according to that school of thought, their interpretation of Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, uncleanness meant anything, literally. Um, in fact, here's a quote from Rabbi Hillel. If she spoiled his dinner, if she spun or went, I don't know what spun means, or went, with an un, went out with unbound hair or spoke to men in the streets, if she spoke disrespectfully of his parents in his presence, or if she was a brawling woman whose voice could be heard in the next house. Those were all grounds, and he kept going. So essentially, you burn breakfast, that's grounds for the guy to just to pick up your stuff, and you're out of here. And you have to understand that in this culture, that was a very dangerous thing. You know, it's not like it is today where it's, you know, people pretty much have equal opportunities. I mean, I know people are still wrestling, trying to figure all that out. But boy, in this day, if a woman got thrown out, uh, you know, by a guy, like you were in a bad position, you know, um, you were probably going to get in some serious trouble. You know, well, somebody's going to victimize you. Something is going to happen. You weren't going to be able to care for yourself at all. Now, another rabbi, I don't know how to pronounce his name. It looks like Akiba. Um, a student of Hillel, he went further, and here's what he added to it. He was a student of Hillel, and he added this to the teaching. He said, a man could divorce his wife if he found a woman whom he liked better and considered more beautiful. You say, man, this is terrible. Well, it actually sounds like America, you know, so it's not, you know, this is where our world is at today. You can get divorced today if you can prove that you have irreconcilable differences, right? And that's a subjective term, isn't it? All, you, all essentially you have to say today is, I don't want to work it out. It's irreconcilable. Oh, okay, Psh, whatever, you know. And so we look at this and we think that's so terrible, but I mean, our culture is the same way, if not worse today. So pretty clever trap that they've set here because what they're trying to do is they're trying to get Jesus to align with one or another. Now, remember when they said just for, for any reason, right? That was the question, should a man divorce his wife? Can he for just any reason? See why that makes sense now? Because the whole debate was over, you know, Hillel's school of thought and Shammai's. Whose do you think was the more popular? Hillel, yeah, of course. Everybody, you know, loves that guy because he loosens the commands of the Lord, you know. So we want to go to his church because we want him to give us advice and he'll tell us essentially what we want to hear, right? Now, Jesus answers in a masterful way. Now, we will learn a lot about the subject of divorce from Jesus here, um, but we also learn about how he answers questions when people are trying to trap him. I think it's just genius. Now, so he says, and he answered... And said to them, verse 4, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? First of all, he starts out by saying, have you not read? And that's always humorous to talk to the Pharisees like that. I always get a chuckle out of that because it's like these people think they know the Bible. And Jesus is like, oh, have you read the Bible? And, you know, no, I guess apparently you've read it, but maybe you don't understand it. There is a difference, by the way. Now, he takes them all the way back. He doesn't get in the argument of, oh, I'll tell you, no, Rabbi, this is wrong, Rabbi, that. So he doesn't even get involved with that, and he doesn't even talk about divorce right here. What he does is he goes back to the Garden of Eden. He goes back to origins, and he says, don't you know that God, he's in Genesis chapter 1, don't you know that God created them male and female, okay? And I think it's worth pausing for a second here and saying God made two sexes, male and female, right? Now, there are some anomalies. People are born with both, both organs and things like that. There's anomalies out there. But for the most part, uh, you know, God, you know, it, science doesn't lie. The Bible doesn't lie. God made two sexes. He made the male and female. And he goes on and he says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become 
one flesh. So Jesus says, okay, I'll answer your question. Let me go back before the fall. Let me go back before any rabbi. Let me go back before Moses. And let me go back to God's intention here. Now, that's what he's going to do. And he talks about the marriage relationship. He says, a man and a woman, what happens in a marriage is you leave having the family be the, your family be the primary um, influence in your life, the primary, you're, you're not, you know, ultimately that relationship with your family is not primary anymore. Now you're one flesh with your spouse and you've kind of become a new being. Like God has literally made you one flesh with this other person. It's kind of interesting, the, the word where it says joined there, um, that has the idea of being glued together with somebody. Have you ever seen the movie, uh, is it, what is it, Fireproof? You ever seen that? It's a really good movie. You guys should watch it if you haven't seen it, especially if you're married. Um, he, got, he glues the two salt shakers together and he rips them apart. Well, the word joined together that Jesus used has to do with something being cemented together. You know, what if that's what Lionel Richie was talking about? I'm stuck on you. No, I, probably not. <laughs> probably not. Could be. God's intention, now he goes back and he says that a male and female, God created a male and female, they're to be joined as one flesh. And now that one flesh is more than just sexual, right? Um, it certainly encompasses sexuality, but it has to do with um, just being one flesh in every area of life, you know, operating like you are not a single person anymore. You are one person with this other person, right? Um, and it's a, it's a mysterious thing. It's a really interesting thing. So his intention, Jesus takes back to God's intention. And then his conclusion, verse six, based on what God has established, look at Jesus' conclusion. Jesus is going to make a conclusion based on the truth found in Genesis. And he says, therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate, right? So because God made them male and female, because God made them to come together, leave family and to become one flesh, therefore, what God has joined together in this gift of marriage that he's given, let not man separate. Separate it. Now, God's intention for marriage is permanence. Permanence. That's what Jesus is getting at. Malachi chapter 2 verse 16 says that God hates divorce. This is why God hates divorce is because it was intended to be permanent. Now, he answers their question. Is it lawful to divorce for just any reason? God made the male and female to be one flesh. Therefore, let not man separate what God joined together. Mar marriage is supposed to be permanent, right? That's how he answered the question. So Jesus is now pitted against Moses, right? He's not, he didn't buy into the trap of Hillel and Shammai, although he obviously aligns more with, you know, Shammai, we find out as we're going on. But now he's pitted against Moses, right? What do I mean? Look at verse 7. And they said to him, almost like they had this on deck, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? So you see what I mean? Jesus is saying marriage is supposed to be permanent. And so they're saying, aha, well, Moses said you're supposed to get divorced if, you know, these conditions are met. It's interesting they use that word command. Um, Bless you. That word command is nowhere in Moses' teaching. It's they've misinterpreted Moses. They interpret it as if any unfaithfulness happened in a marriage or any uncleanness or anything like that, you were commanded to get divorced. Um, if anything uh, defiled the relationship, and that's not true. What um, Moses was doing in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, was actually protecting women. 
men in those days were just tossing them out for whatever reason. They were, you know, you gals didn't have, you think it's bad now? People think it's bad now. It was terrible in these days. Some people think it's bad now, not everybody. But I mean, it was, it was terrible in these days. And that's, so that's what the laws were doing was they were kind of putting protection. So he says, he goes on to say, because of the hard, hardness, hard, hard, uh, hardness, I think it says hard-heartedness because I think it does in another translation, so forgive me. Because of the hardness of your hearts, he permitted you to divorce your wives. He didn't command it, he permitted it, right? There's a big difference. Not as a command, as a concession. Now, when he's talking about being hard-hearted here, it's not necessarily to deal with the cruelty of the men, although that was prevalent in a lot of marriages. Um, it's dealing with hard-heartedness is, you know, hard-heartedness is being unresponsive to the Lord, it's being so set in your own ways of doing things. You're, you don't really care what the Lord is saying. You're hard-hearted. You're not responding to God. And because of that, Moses made these rules and said, look, if, if you're going to be all hard-hearted, you don't care what marriage is about, you're, you don't care, and apparently you're throwing your wives out, then there needs to be something here that's going to protect them because you're putting them in vulnerable positions. Here are some of the reasons, I'll just give you four of them, that divorce was permitted in this situation, that, that, a, that a certificate of divorce was, you know, God's will at this point. Um, it wasn't God's intention, but it was God, you know, is in the law that Moses is, you know, they need to, if you're going to divorce, you need to write the certificate. Well, it would protect marriage from defilement. You know, God's created marriage to be sacred. If it was being sinned against and all this other stuff, hardness of heart. So that's one reason. Another one is, again, I've alluded to it. I've said it, protect women, um, that they were being sent off from husbands for superficial reasons. Another one is give proof then of the woman's legal status. So if a guy tossed her out, you know, then she's got proof of a legal status. Two things could happen. Then she could remarry and she could collect her dowry, right? Very important because the guy, you know, the dowry money is kind of like the, it's like a down payment. I don't, it's kind of like, you know, when you were going to get married, you know, they would bring this money and it was kind of insurance essentially to where if the marriage dissolved and, you know, you can look it up. Uh, then, you know, she could remarry and collect her dowry. So those are, those are four reasons of why God permitted this. You know, according, you read Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses one through five, and you'll get the uh, gist of it. But he goes on in verse eight and he says, but from the beginning, it was not so. So although the law of Moses makes the certificate of divorce required for divorces, uh, for those reasons we just talked about, in no way does God approve of or condone it. That's what Jesus is saying. In the beginning, it was not so. God's intention is not for people to get divorced. That's what he says. <clears throat> the hardness of heart tells you that divorce is the byproduct of sin. Divorce is the byproduct of sin. One person, the other person, most times it's both people. It's, I've never come across a situation where it's not both people, you know, sinning. Um, Jesus is saying, it was because of the hardness of heart. It was because of sinful humans, but it was not God's intention. These people here in Jesus' day questioning him, they were more concerned about divorce when they should have been more concerned about marriage. That's how you can tell what Jesus, by Jesus' answer here. He doesn't just hop right into this whole divorce thing. He says, okay, you're, you're talking about divorce. Let me take you back to what marriage is. Now, today, that's really good advice for anybody. You're in this debate about something to do with sin. Well, why don't we go back to what God's intention is, right? Because then it starts to bring up these questions. Do I have a hard heart? You know, I'm considering divorce today. 
why don't we stop and just put that D word on hold for a second and let's talk about what God actually intended for marriage to be. Let's spend a few sessions doing that rather than even talking about divorce because probably what we're going to find is your heart is hardened towards your spouse and towards God. That's probably what's going on. You know, and I'm, you know, I understand this is bringing up a whole bunch of questions that I'm not going to answer today, but these are just the principles that Jesus is laying forward here. Now, he says in verse nine, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. One of the harder teachings of Jesus in the Bible. Now, this is one of the two reasons given in the New Testament that divorce will be recognized by God. One of the two reasons. I'll get to the other one in a second. Where it says sexual immorality. Now, some people have interpreted this just to be only adultery because he, he says, read it again. Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So people have, people have uh, interpreted this where it's like sexual immorality means adultery. You see how you could do that by reading this? Well, adultery is the only thing that you could break a marriage up over in God's eyes because that's what, you know, and they think that's what sexual immorality means here. But actually, the Greek word translated sexual immorality means pornea. So this could encompass a whole range of sexual sin, Right. So say a guy's got, you know, or a girl, I mean, has a problem with pornography. They're addicted to pornography. They're into, um, you know, all, any, any kind of other stuff. You know, some people will say, well, I, I never actually had sexual intercourse with somebody else. But, you know, we made out and we did this other stuff. I just, you know, I'm doing, well, you know, all of that could be involved in pornea, right? Because pornea is this sexual sin term that encompasses all kinds of sexual sin. You know, I don't, I just want to throw this out there. I didn't work through this all the way. So I'm just going to throw this out there because this seems like a logical conclusion to me. But Jesus said back in, you know, a few chapters back, he said that anybody that looks at a woman with lust in his heart commits adultery already with her. So I would consider that to be pornea as well. It's a sexual sin if you're lusting, you know. So what Jesus is saying here is that sexual immorality, pornea, is grounds, it's, it's, it doesn't mean you have to get divorced, but if you do get divorced based on pornea, God will recognize that divorce. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, going on in that same verse there, he says that if anybody you know, divorces his wife for anything except pornea and marries another, they commit adultery. Now, why would that be? because God hasn't recognized their divorce. As far as God's concerned, that person is still married, right? It doesn't matter if you go downtown and get man to say you're divorced. God still sees you as married is what Jesus is saying here, okay? Now, and he says, he goes on, he says, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Well, that's the same thing. If you're a guy, you know, and you, and you meet a woman and she's been divorced for anything other than sexual immorality, this is where we're at right now. If, if, anything else other than that, and you marry her, you're committing adultery because in God's eyes, God sees that woman still married to her previous relationship, you know, to the, to the guy that she is married to because the divorce wasn't dissolved on biblical grounds. Now, this is a hard teaching. I understand this, especially in 2022. Um, and that's why I gave you the disclaimer ahead of time. We're just, we're just going to really try to keep our opinions out of it. And we're just going to look at what God says here. 
Now, this is only part of the picture here, and I'm going to talk about some stuff that the Apostle Paul says later, and he's going to open up the, the whole picture of divorce here, and we'll have a clear understanding of it by the time we leave. Now, I do want to say, too, that the rabbi's interpretation of Moses' law permitted remarriage after divorce. So the rabbi's interpretation, well, you can get divorced over just anything. They also said that you could remarry again. And so that's why I'm sure Jesus is making it clear here that you can't in God's eyes without committing adultery, right? And that's what he says clearly. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you would, please. Let's get Paul's teaching on the subject. Um, married couples, let me give you some homework or dating couples, anything like that. Um, go home tonight or sometime this week when you have time and read 1 Corinthians chapter 7 together, please. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and uh, pray before you do. You know, that's, that'd be a good thing. And just ask God to speak to you as a couple. Um, you know, uh, that's just some homework for you if you're a married person. If you're interested in what God has to say about marriage, you know, read it as well. It's not just for you that are married or dating or whatever. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're not going to read the whole chapter here, but I would definitely recommend the whole chapter. Okay. Paul adds another reason that divorce is, uh, that a divorce would be recognized in God's eyes. And if you'll please look at verse 15 of chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. He says, but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. Okay. So this is another aspect to this teaching. If you're married and you're walking with the Lord, you've maybe become a Christian. Maybe you were married to somebody, neither of you were Christians, and you've become a Christian. If your spouse says, I don't want anything to do with this Christianity stuff, I don't like the person you've become, whatever they would say, if they depart, Paul says, okay, let them go. You don't have to let them go. I mean, you could, but Paul, you know, it's not commanded that you do, but Paul says, if they depart, this is something that God will recognize, okay? Now, if that unbelieving spouse does not want to depart, you're to stay with them. You're to stay with them. And that is clear in a number of other passages. There's uh, verses in Peter that deal with this. Now, so there's two reasons in the New Testament that God will recognize a divorce. The first one is sexual immorality. The second one is if an unbeliever departs. Those two things. Now, I want to say something difficult, but it needs to be said. Nowhere in the word of God do we find irreconcilable differences. We don't find that anywhere. We don't find incompatibility. We don't find falling out of love. We don't find any of the things that many people divorce over today in the word of God. Those things are not permissible by God to divorce for. Now, I'm going to say something even harder. We don't find brutality as a reason to divorce. We don't find abuse as an acceptable reason for divorce. Okay? Now, with that, it's important for you to understand that you should separate if you're in an abusive situation. You need to get away from that person um, to get yourself safe, right? And I want to make a comment about this right here, that if you are in an abusive situation, chances are 
you may or may not even know it. So the best thing to do is to ask the friends closest to you and the family, are like, are you in an abusive situation? But the Bible does not give that as grounds for divorce, okay? So wisely what you would do, the book of Proverbs says a wise person sees danger and hides themselves from it. So if you want to be wise, you would get away from a situation, put distance between you and that abusive person, that addicted person, um, whatever that might be. The Bible does not give a separated person, somebody that's been separated for one of those reasons, the Bible does not give them permission to divorce. Now look at verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 7. Verse 10 says, Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. So what that's saying right there is if you're going to separate, a wife is not to depart from her husband, okay? But if you're going to separate, even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, okay? So if... This is, here's how this works out really practically. You're in an abusive relationship. You got to get out of the thing. You got to separate. And God would say to you, his word says to you, you need to remain celibate. You need to remain celibate. This is your, this is what you're going to do now. If you want to be biblical. Now people, listen, culture, it's really, we're, we're a peculiar people as humans because, you know, I'm just going to stop with that. Okay. We pick and choose what we want to do, you know. Essentially, we're our own gods. We read the Bible and we say, I'll take this, I'll chuck that, I'll take this, I'll go find somebody that'll water that down, I'll just whatever, you know. And that's what we do. And it's, it's really interesting. We, we kind of look at ourselves as God. You know, we're going we're gonna to read God's word, we're going to mull it over, and we're going to see if we want to receive it or not. And that's, that's the church in America uh, in 2022. And, and I don't mean to be negative, but it's just, that's a, that's a reality. So that's God's word to the separated is, you know, he sees you still as married and what you need to do is you need to remain in this uh, celibate state. The separated married couples are expected to honor their marriage vows even though they are separated. As far as God's concerned, they're still married. Certainly a hard teaching. Now, I want to address this question. So what if you were married before coming to the Lord um, and your divorce wasn't biblical. It wasn't, it wasn't a biblical divorce. You weren't a Christian at the time you've been, now you're a Christian, you've been married. Um, first Corinthians chapter seven, verse 17 says something. Um, the, the question in the Corinthian church was, okay, I wasn't circumcised before I, uh, became a Christian. Should I get circumcised? Do I need to get circumcised now? Or should or I was circumcised? Should I get uncircumcised now? However that works. Uh, you know, but that's the, when you read it, that's what he's getting at. And then he says this, he says, but God has distributed to each one. You know, he's, he's essentially saying your station in life, he's distributed to each one. Are you single? Are you married? Are you circumcised? Are you uncircumcised? That's what he says. Verse 17. But as God has distributed to each one, he's given you a place in life, whatever it is. As the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. Okay? So 
how you could work this out, I think a legitimate application of this, if you're married today and you've been, in, if you've been married before, you've been divorced, it wasn't legally, you know, biblically dissolved, you're just going to walk as you have been called. You're going to bloom where you're planted, okay, as a Christian. This is, you, don't, you don't need to go and try to undo your past to please God, right? You, know, you wouldn't want to interpret this as saying, oh, wow, I'm married to a Christian now, but I had this marriage in the past that it wasn't, oh, so I need to get divorced from the husband that I'm now or the wife, and now I need to go get back married. Well, see how convoluted this is getting? So what you do, if you've been in a divorce situation and it was something other than for what God has prescribed, then what you would do if you haven't already is you would say, Lord, forgive me uh, for, for going against what your word said and I want you to bless my new marriage. I want you to bless my life, you know. And then you ask him for forgiveness as anybody would ask any forgiveness for anything else and that's what God does is he forgives and he cleanses people. And so I don't want you to feel condemned if you've been in these situations before and I don't think Paul would either. That's why he says, so let him walk. You know, as you've been called, let, you know, walk there. God's interested in what you're doing tomorrow, you know, and because there's no way for you to go undo what you did, right? So we're just going to go forward and we're going to ask the Lord his blessing. We're going to ask him to forgive us for the things that we've done in life that, that don't line up with his word. And that's what it means to be a Christian, right, is, is, is receiving that from him. Don't try to undo your past, right? Now, and don't worry, too, if God, oh, maybe God never is going to use me. Maybe God can't bless my life. Maybe God's not going to use my marriage. Not true. God will bless. Look at, read your Bible, and you'll find out that it's filled with sinners, right, that God calls saints, okay? Heaven's going to be filled with a lot of bad people, where hell's going to be filled with a lot of good people. And so I'll let you think that one through, okay? Now, verse 10 I love it what the disciples say because they're actually understanding what Jesus says here. And they say, uh, man, if such is the case for his wife, it's better not to marry. So they understand the serious binding nature of what Jesus is saying right there. But I don't agree with their perspective whatsoever. Oh, you heard that marriage is permanent, so your conclusion is it's better not to marry? I heard that marriage is permanent, and I think, man, hallelujah, marriage is an awesome thing. What a gift that God has given. What a place for children to be brought up in a secure, stable marriage, right? I don't know if you've come from a broken home, but if you've come from a broken home from divorce, it screws your life up, right? It screws your life up. You know that if you've been through it. Divorce is hard on kids. Sometimes people will say, well, we can't just stay married just for the kids. Yes, you can, and you should. You should die to yourself and humble yourself and be married. If, if that's the only reason, that's a good reason, right? That's a really good reason. Um, because of what it would do to your kids. You need to be concerned about them. Um, now, the disciples, they say, it's better that you wouldn't even be married. Well, no, only for people that want to like trade in their wife over burning their eggs, you know, or something like that. You know, like, I don't know. I don't understand that. Maybe they thought, to their defense, maybe they thought the type of ministry they'd been called to was so intense that they're like, how could we ever even be married in this? You know, like, or, I don't know. I'm just guessing there. I'm speculating on, on why they... <laughs> said that. One thing we can say for sure is they understood the serious binding nature of marriage. Okay. Now he goes on and Jesus is going to talk about celibacy uh, using some weird words, the word eunuch. And he, what he's going to do is the disciples questions, essentially they're saying, it's probably just better just to say celibate. And then Jesus is going to say, you know, celibacy hasn't been given to everybody. And then he's going to give some examples of people that are celibate. Okay. That's what he says here. All cannot accept this saying, but only to those to whom it has been given. In other words, not everybody's cut out for marriage. Not everybody is cut out for this. So you're right. There are people that are cut out to be single. 
There are people that choose to be celibate and choose to be single. And he gives some examples when he talks about eunuchs. Now, a eunuch is a person that does not have sexual organs, okay? They've, and Jesus is going to give you some reasons of why they don't. He says in verse 12, there are some that are born this way. So like a hermaphrodite, um, people born with um, mutilated genitalia or something like that, people born without reproductive organs, you know, on the outside, they can't do this stuff with them or, you know, or whatever. So that's a eunuch by birth, right? Somebody that's celibate by birth. Next one, he says in verse 12, eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. These are people that for their job, um, you know, or whatever, they have, you know, their master had them castrated. There's one in the Bible, you guys remember, the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts, chapter um, 8, verse 27. This is a guy that, you know, typically what would happen is if you had a position to where you were going to be, like, involved with the women in a king's court, you know, they would castrate you because the temptation to, you know, have sex with these women, so it was easier to, uh, I don't know if it's easier, but I mean, that was the solution, right? Now, going on, he gives another reason, and he says, eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Now, two examples come to mind right away for this, right? Um, John the Baptist, Jesus, you know? I know that the History Channel, like, makes all these clickbait things that says, was Jesus married? And, like, he was never married and all that stuff. Um, You know, Jesus was a person that was celibate by choice for his ministry's sake, right? And so was John the Baptist, and I'm sure there are many others. There are a lot today that do that. No. What this is saying in a nutshell is some people are meant for marriage, some people are not. And when they said, it's better that nobody gets married then, and then Jesus' reply is, hey, that's not for everybody. Celibacy is not for everybody. Some people are called to marriage, but some people are not called to marriage. The blessings, the responsibilities, the pains, the sacrifices, difficulties, challenges, the highs and the lows, some people are not meant uh, for that. It's just not their thing in life, right? That could be a relief to you today. You could say, wow, I knew I was cut out to be single, and I, you know, or whatever it is, or You know, I'm certainly called to marriage. I can understand that. This is good for me. I get it. Somebody that's called to celibacy probably doesn't hate it every minute of their life, right? Uh, They probably have embraced it and they've learned how to serve the Lord in that uh, capacity. That's really the the point on the subject there is is we need to embrace where God's called us, uh, you know, and we need to serve and flourish there. Verse 13, then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. Now, this was a common practice. Take your kids to the rabbi. He'll pray for them. He'll bless them. But as he's doing it, because of kids' low status in this culture, you know, they were kind of looked at as property. They shouldn't be seen or heard. That's how the, you know, ancient cultures looked at kids. Quite a bit different today, uh, you know. <laughs> we'll just leave that alone. Uh, but uh, so the disciples you know, rebuke the people, say, oh, you can't bring your kids to Jesus. Jesus is far too busy for this. And Jesus essentially rebukes the rebukers and says, no, let the little kids come to me for such, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what he means is heaven is not just for kids, but he's saying that children have the attitude necessary of trust and faith that is needed for entrance into the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's talking about. For such is the kingdom of heaven. People that get saved, that go to heaven, are people that have a childlike Sunday school faith, right? They're people that have not been spoiled out of that childlike Sunday school faith. They just, they just trust Jesus. It's not saying you don't grow in your knowledge and all that, but some 
you know, some aspect of your faith is trusting and simple like a child. Now, when he says, um, let the little children come to me, I want to say that this is one of the verses of why we are so convicted as a church to provide children's ministry for kids that is age appropriate, right? Because if you're trying to bring your kids to an adult church and they don't understand what's being said, in essence, you're not letting them get to Jesus, because they don't understand what's going on. So that's why we really believe in children's ministry that's age appropriate is because we want the kids to receive um, at a level they understand so they can receive Jesus. I understand that's not exactly what he's saying here, but that's our application as a church that we've taken from, let the little children come to me. We certainly will. We take it as a responsibility to provide age appropriate children's ministry for that reason. So let's make some concluding thoughts here. As you can see, marriage is not something to be entered into lightly. Is everybody okay? You okay? Good? Everybody's good? Okay. Because I know this was a tough teaching. I mean, we tried to, I tried to do my best to leave my opinions out of it. I think we just looked at what the scripture said. I want to just make a few uh, points, but let's recap though. First of all, divorce is recognized by God in two situations, sexual immorality. The second one, if the unbelieving spouse leaves. Now there's one more in Romans chapter seven, verses one through three or one through four, it's somewhere in there. Paul talks about if a spouse dies, then the other one is released from the law of marriage. So there are three reasons that, there are two reasons that divorce is recognized by God, three reasons that remarriage is uh, okay by God, okay? And that's them. Uh, if an unbelieving, or, you know, the unbelieving spouse departs sexual immorality, or if a, if a spouse dies, then the woman's free or the man's free to remarry. Here's a few applications. Okay, if you're having trouble in your marriage and you've been considering divorce, um, here's some good advice, okay? This is, this is, I've seen this to be good advice. Get, if you're a Christian, get the D word out of your vocabulary. Just get it out of your vocabulary. Don't think about it. Don't entertain it. Stop talking about it. Stop threatening one another with it. If you're a Christian, get that word out of your vocabulary altogether. Never ever in a million years threaten your spouse with divorce. Don't do that, you know? And you're thinking, oh my gosh, I've done that a bunch of times. I know. I mean, it's, I understand marriage is ugly at times. We get it. You know, Aaron and I understand this. But this is just really helpful. Just put it out of your mind. Just, just put it out of your mind altogether. It's not an option for Christians. Stop focusing on divorce and rather focus on marriage. Rather focus on God's intention for it right? And this is not even if you've been considering divorce. If you've just been having relationship issues altogether, the best thing for you to do is to take your mind just a little bit off of those issues and go and put your mind on what a biblical wife or a biblical husband is supposed to be and focus more on that than you do on your spouse's flaws or the problems in your marriage. That's, that's good advice. Trust me, I've seen this with wisdom. If you just take your mind off of the problems and you put it more on your responsibility as a biblical spouse, things will start changing. There's a lot of hope if you're willing to be obedient to what God says, right? Albeit, you can't do it perfectly. Understand, none of us can. The Bible says um, that men, husbands, are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Really difficult. If you think about how Christ loved the church, he laid his life down. He laid down his comfort zones. He laid down his um, right to not be interrupted. He laid down all those things to become one flesh with the church, his bride, right? 
men, we're called to lay down our lives for our wives. The right to be interrupted, the, the you know, the, uh, you know, my wills, my desires, my hobbies, all of my things are subordinate to what my wife needs, biblically speaking. And the Bible says that we're to wash our wives in the word of God. We're to be men that bring the word of God into the home. It's hard when you don't know the word of God very well. And so you just take what you do know. You take the basics of what you do know, and you just get started doing this. Guys, girls, women are called to respect their husbands and submit to them as unto the Lord, right? It does not mean submitting to abuse. Submitting means you are being subordinate to the mission that God has for marriage. See, think about it like that. Submission means I am submitting to the mission, right? Now, it doesn't, well, my husband this, my husband that. The Bible doesn't say asterisks unless your husband is this or that. It doesn't say that right? And it does not mean submit to abuse, right? Let me tell you, if a guy is manipulating you with the word of God and saying, well, you need to submit to me because the Bible says this and this and that, you know, you need to pray for him that the Lord will convict him not to use the word of God like that, you know? So I understand though, I, let me, let me tell you just for a second. Somebody was telling me today that he, they envied our marriage, uh, you know? <laughs> well, what's that about? <laughs> Good job. Well, I don't know what else to say now. But marriage is difficult. It is difficult. Both of us are stubborn and rebellious people, and we want to do our own thing. And we think we're smarter than the other, and we wrestle all the time. And it's stupid, you know, in retrospect. And when you get perspective, it's stupid, you know, and you can go from loving somebody more than anything to hating them within the same day, three or four times, five times in a day, you can do it. And it's, that's the reality of marriage. And when you submit to marriage, when you say, you know, God, I'm going to answer this calling on my life. That's, that's part of what you, you know, you're getting involved with. One of the biggest problems with marriage in this country, um, in our world today is we think it's about our happiness and it's not. God has a, a calling for your marriage that is a lot bigger than happiness. It's holiness is the main thing. He put this person in your life. And you say, I don't know, man, is my spouse is so different than me. Okay. Well, God has a purpose for your marriage. He put you together with this person for a reason. And you should be seeking more of like that. Like, God, how is it, you know, that, that I'm supposed to be growing as a husband or as a wife based on this person that you gave me, right? And uh, it's a really, you know, it's a really difficult thing. Aaron and I have had our share of problems. In the beginning of our marriage, we had terrible problems. Like, we'd be trying to set up and get ready for church and I would say something stupid and uh, Aaron would just take off and I'd be calling her on the phone. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I mean, what do I do when people get to church and they ask me, where's Aaron? And I'm like, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, like, I don't know how to be married. I'm an idiot, you know? And, and then she'd come back and then, just, you know, an hour later after service, another problem it was just, oh my goodness, you know? Because we didn't, you know, I, I haven't seen good examples in my life. I bring a whole bunch of baggage to the thing, but God puts you together with somebody and he brings all your baggage both of your baggage together and, and there you are, you're in the same house together and there's two sinners in a broken, sinful world. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's a mess. It's a mess. The best advice that my mentors, I have three mentors and two of them particularly give me marriage advice. And um, always the answer, guys, is be a servant. Humble yourself. Be a servant. You've got all this stuff going in your head, all this tension, all this stuff like that. Okay, take that aside for a second and go do the dishes, right? Go do the laundry, 
do all those things in Jesus' name and say, Jesus, I'm doing these for you because I'm serving my wife because really I'm serving you. And that's going to fix like 90% of marriage problems. We get over our own selfishness, our own, you know, preoccupation with our own comfort zones and hobbies and little things that we want to just have, you know, it's all about me. And we get over this all about me attitude and we say, it's all about Jesus. And when, it, when it's all about Jesus, it ends up being all about your spouse. Because really the way that you love Jesus is the way you love your spouse, Right? Now, if you're dealing with abuse, I've said this again, I'll say it again. Ask a friend, um, you know, if they think that you should get, you know, you need to get out of an abusive situation, uh, any kind of abusive situation. You need, to, you need to get some sort of boundaries and you need to get out of that. If you need help with that, let us know. Um, my dad abused my mom terribly. Um, I've come from this stuff. I understand it uh, somewhat. And we're here to help you with that. If that's the situation, I don't know if you are. It doesn't seem like it, but who knows? I mean, I know, I know church is a good place to put a face on when things are going bad at home. And you ask people and you say, how's it going? And they say, oh, it's going great. And you're like, oh, okay. And then they go home and it's abuse at home and, and you hide it. And I understand that. So I just want to put that out there uh, that we're willing to help you in any way we can, if that's the case. If you have divorced for unbiblical reasons, uh, we talked about this, ask forgiveness in your heart, flourish in your singleness. Um, now, you know, if you've separated and, you, and you've been divorced and it wasn't for biblical things and you're single, flourish in your singleness. Really do that. Be obedient to the word of God. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 7 uh, again and understand what Paul says. Just flourish in that. Serve the Lord in your singleness. Un, undivided attention. You can give him your whole heart as a single person. That's a beautiful thing. Now, if you're unmarried... I'm sorry, if you're remarried after an unbiblical divorce, uh, you know, sit down with your spouse. If, if this is, you know, if you've been convicted, you sit down with them and just tell them, let's just ask the Lord to forgive all the stuff in our past. If you haven't done this, if you have, God's forgiven you. You ask God for forgiveness once for something, it's gone. That's it. If you haven't, sit down with your spouse, say, let's just ask God to forgive our past, you know, forgive my past. And then just flourish in your marriage and just be blessed and bless the Lord with your marriage and let him shine through it. You know, it's a good thing. If you're single... We'll end with the singles. Gain knowledge about God's design for marriage. Pray and work to become the spouse that God would have you to be. Or if you have the gift of singleness, flourish in that and serve the Lord. I know this was a tough message, but we want to be a people that holds up the truth of the Lord here. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And tough message, Jesus, but we want to be a peculiar people. We want to follow you. And um, we thank you, Lord, that... I guess really where I come away from this, Lord, is just you're perfect and you're so good and, and mankind is such a mess, Lord. And so we thank you, Lord, for condescending, for reaching down to us and forgiving us of all the things that we've committed against you. We thank you for your blood that was shed on the cross to cover all of our sins. We thank you, Lord, as far as the east to the west that, you're, that you have removed our transgressions from us. We thank you for that truth that if we confess and we uh, bring sin to you, that you are faithful, that you forgive and you cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And we stand on that, Lord. We're, we're standing in what it says in Romans 8, verse 1, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And we thank you for that, Lord. I pray, God, blessings upon these marriages in here. Lord, that these marriages in here, in this church family, would be biblical, Christ-centered marriages, Lord. I pray that you would do that. Uh, in the name of your son, I pray for the singles, those that you're preparing to be married, God, that they would get their minds off of loneliness, off of any of that kind of stuff, and put their mind on the scriptures. Trust that you will bring the person at the time 
that you've decided, help them to focus on becoming the best spouse they can be. I don't want to recap my whole prayer or sermon in this prayer, Lord, because that's kind of weird when pastors do that. We love you, God, and we need your help. Bless marriage, Lord. Bless marriage in this country, Lord. Thank you that you've made it just such a wonderful, beautiful, hard, but wonderful thing. In Jesus' name, amen.